Let's take our Bibles and go to Habakkuk chapter 3. This is part 6 in the book of Habakkuk, and we will, Lord willing, wrap it up today. And uh, as you're turning there, I have something in my hands here um, that we've probably never seen in the parking areas of Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Uh, Next week, we're going to have some guys who are going to help us out with parking. And all of you who are having difficulty finding parking, say, Amen. All right, so here's what we're going to do next week. Um, as you know, um, the people who built this building in 1979 had a lot of vision for people to come here. And God is in the process of, I believe, fulfilling that vision. The only problem is that when you're in the middle of big downtown Rocky Mount, Virginia, uh, Parking is at a premium, and we really, if you've ever seen the actual parking of, of this church, there's really not much, is there? There's not much at all. But uh, so many of you, and I just want to say thank you for those of you that are young and in good health. Thank you for parking uh, down the street, parking over at the Franklin Center. The Lord is using you to be able to open up areas here close for people who've never been here before. And so what we're going to do next week, we have some great volunteers who are going to be out there. Um, if this parking lot fills up early, they're going to be able to direct people to where they can actually park. Because if you're new and everything looks like it's filled up around the church, you may just you may just drive on. And for some of us that were not right with Jesus years ago, we looked for any excuse to be out of church. Can I get a witness? Right? It's like they're filled up, right? So, uh, so next week, if you're young and you're in good health, you could even park right over at the farmer's market or park around the backside of the Franklin Center or over at the library. Uh, and I think that this is one way that we can be inconvenienced for the gospel, inconvenienced to be able to allow more people to come and hear the gospel. Um, because a lot of American Christianity, uh, let me just speak to the men for, for a minute. One of the reasons why so few men uh, are involved in many churches because what is preached is not actually the gospel. It's a watered-down version that demands no um, commitment. But the call of Jesus Christ to us is to lay down our lives, to take up our cross and follow Him. That's the gospel. It begins with the death of self. It begins with a new heart. And I think, how cool would it be to get some extra exercise for the glory of God so that more people can come and hear the gospel. Because we're Americans. I mean, we'll drive to the mailbox. <laughs> right? I mean, we will. So exercise, no matter uh, what our exercise habits are, probably wouldn't hurt any of us. But I'm excited about Easter. Uh, a little bit nervous because like we said, man, we've never done this before. So we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, there could be all of y'all come to the 930 service and uh, or whatever, 930 and 11. But let's just have fun with it. All right. This is the Lord's church. He can do with us as he pleases. I love what Francis Chan said. He says when he was younger, he heard a pastor say that God has a universe and he has a way. You have a way or will, but you don't have a universe. Isn't that good? Right? We can make choices, but it is God's plan for this church. And what we want to do is just enjoy what he's blessed us with. And we're so excited to have every single one of you here today. We really are. And glory to God. Because um, the Lord could bless Rocky Mount Baptist Church if one of y'all you know, I'm going to write a million dollar check. And man, glory be to God, we can use that for ministry. But the, the greatest blessing God could ever give a faith family is people. And isn't it so neat that just a few minutes ago we saw children up here leading us in worship. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of times we say, well, that's the future of the church. And in one sense, that's true. But, but praise God, they're, they're a part of it now. And they're learning the gospel back there in a way that they can understand and in a way that the parents in here can actually hear. And so let's just continue to have fun with this. Because here's the thing, y'all. Anytime God blesses, whether he blesses your business, family, church, there can be the pressure to say, how can we keep this thing going? We don't start it. We don't keep it going. It's a work of God. It's a very un-American concept in the sense that we work hard, we plan, we try to strategize, make sure that things work as efficient as they can. And we have great volunteers who help in every aspect of this church's life. But God is the one who gives salvation. He's the one who changes our lives. He's the one who brings, he's the one who's brought us here. So let's just enjoy the blessings of him. Be able to take this week, make calls, Facebook messages, text messages. We've got some really snazzy flyers uh, over here, out that entrance, out that entrance. And man, let's just, let's just have fun saying, you know what? We can spread the seed, but God's the one who's going to give the increase. And, um, and that's what we want, want God to do this Easter is just bring people for the glory of God, see people saved. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter three. We'll begin to read there in verse 16, walk all the way through the end of the book in verse 19. The Bible says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from its fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, He is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then the the ending subscript there is to the choir master with stringed instruments. And what we want to break down from this passage of Scripture this morning is to talk about the idea of worst case scenarios. And we want to get across from the scripture to us that God is sovereign over scary things. There's a a show a few years ago on the Discovery Channel called Worst Case Scenarios uh, with Bear Grylls. And isn't Bear Grylls just a cool guy? I mean, if Chuck Norris had a son... He would be a lot like Bear Grylls. And in this show, worst case scenario, here's some things that they examine. Getting out of a burning car, boating accident, downed power line, dog attack, sinking car, rattlesnake encounter, earthquake, car brakes fail, physical attack, trapped in extreme cold, desert breakdown, and then the whole episode on tarantula. Some severe arachnophobia there for somebody elevator plunge, that would freak anybody out, right? Blackout, mountain bike accident, being chased, it doesn't say by what. Road rage, nightclub stampede, toxic gas leak, man on fire, home break-in, terror threat. The answer to the last two is Jack Bauer. I mean... All of these worst case scenarios saying, how do you survive in one of those? And what we see in God's word this morning is in the life of Habakkuk, who lived shortly before the kingdom of Judah fell before the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. 
This is in his life and in the life of his friends and family, the worst possible scenario you could possibly imagine. And what he is coming to grips to realize is that God is sovereign over scary things. There's scary things going on in the world right now. The administration of the United States has basically caved to Iran to allow them to have a path towards nuclear development. And what most people said would happen is happening. Now Saudi Arabia is saying we are open to pursuing nuclear weapons. It's very possible that in the next couple of years we could see a nuclear arms race in the Middle East, the most unstable area of the world. That's a scary thing. ISIS, as we talked about a few weeks ago, is a scary thing. A nuclear Iran is a terrifying thing. When you're talking with people and they're saying death to America, death to Israel, it's probably best you do whatever you can so they don't get nuclear weapons. But many people don't see it that way, and that's the path that the world is heading to. And for a follower of Jesus Christ, we think about those problems and they say, we say, that would be, History Channel loves this buzzword, that would be Armageddon. That would be an apocalypse. But for followers of Jesus Christ, we know that the worst possible scenario, the worst case anything would be to die without Christ and go to hell. That's the worst possible thing in any place in the universe whether you were you're with spock light years away or whether you're here in a deer stand to die and go to hell is to the ultimate picture of ultimate ruin and to be without hope to be so afraid that if we are rational it should cause us to break out into a cold sweat it is hopelessness It's despair. It's having addictions, whether those are sexual or chemical, never being able to get a fix. It's hopelessness, despair. It's also extreme physical pain. It's loneliness. It's being stuck in a confined place, knowing we'd never, ever, ever be able to get out. Ever, 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 never, ever, ever, ever. It's done. The door is locked. The doom is sealed. And for some of us, we are flirting with Jesus. We come to church and we listen to sermons and we're still believing the lie of Satan to say that we can improve ourselves. That's a great, that's brilliant to say, you know what? You just need to become a better person. Go to church. Stop doing these things. Start doing these things. Just, just keep trying to become better. And then you die and go to hell because you don't realize we're, we're not willing to admit some of us that we could never be good enough and that only Jesus is good. That's the worst, the worst possible scenario. But if you've been Habakkuk, you say, God, What we're experiencing is these foreigners are coming. They're invading our land. They are gobbling up nation after nation. They're slaughtering people. They're enslaving people. No one can withstand the might of the Babylonians. And he says there in verse number 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles and my lips quiver at the sound. But he's going to come to realize that God is sovereign over scary situations. And when we say that, Sovereign, 
Regardless of your amount of church background, a lot of times we don't break down terms that we use in church. And here's what we mean. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, we do not mean that God is the author of evil. Are you tracking with me? We're not saying that God gives us one set of rules and laws and then violates his own set of laws. What we're saying is that God, this is so difficult for us to even imagine how powerful you'd have to be. But God is even working through evil decisions from evil people to bring about a good result. I can't do that. I mean, you take the most control freak person in this room. Don't point. You take the most control freak person in this room, want to organize every little detail, try to micromanage everything. You can't do that because here's the thing. There are so many things that are outside of our control. So many things. But yet with God, we see over and over again in scripture, beginning with Joseph, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. We see that tacked on with Romans chapter 8 verse 28. We see it in Acts chapter 2. To where Jesus had been the plan of God. God sent him into the world. And it was he was delivered into the hands of sinful men. Doing their dirty work. But yet from that God actually produced salvation for all who would believe. So what we're saying is when we say the sovereignty of God. It means that you can never sneak up on God. It means you can never, nothing will ever occur to God. He'll never ask an angel, do you have a pad and pen? Let me write this down before I forget it. It means that God not only knows the future, there's a crazy idea called open theism, which says that God is learning about the future as it happens. That's not what scripture teaches, and that's not even the God, if you're talking to even philosophers who say, well, if God does exist, he's a maximally great being, and he would obviously have to know the future, and not only that, be active in working the future out to where it would conform to his character, meaning God uses even terrible things done by terrible people in terrible ways in order to work out his plan. The sovereignty of God. That means, this is crazy. That means that the stupid things that you and I have done in our past, the things that we're ashamed of, God even had a plan in that. For some of you, God will let you, go for it. You want to pursue the path of sin? Then when you hit rock bottom, where did you look? To Christ. For some You say, Jeff, I don't even see what I did to sow the seeds of discord in my marriage that led to that divorce. But when that happened, you look to God. God is sovereign over our mistakes. He is in control even when we don't think he is. So when we say the sovereignty of God, it means that we can live fearlessly. It means that we say, you know what, until God's done with me, nobody can touch me. It means that I can live with confidence today. It means that the worst that anybody can do is kill me. Think about it. That's why the Apostle Paul was so annoying to everybody. You know, they're like, stop preaching. He's like, I can't. Don't stop preaching, we'll beat you. Glory be to God, I've been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Dad, come at this guy. They beat him. People get saved because they see his response. They beat him. He starts singing hymns in jail. You know the other person's like, bro, I don't know. I don't know. He's just weird. He's not big. He's just weird. Stay away. 
Then they threatened to kill him. He's like, to live is Christ, to die is, help me out church, to die is gain. They kill, and then today, like one preacher said that we name our, our dogs Nero and our sons Paul. I mean, it's just crazy to see if God is sovereign over every aspect of our life, then that means that we are not left alone. And if we read back in the beginning parts of Habakkuk, he starts to complain to God. He starts to say, God, here's how you need to organize and do life. God, if you can just sit down, and he even uses the word complaint. He says, God, I want you to hear and listen to my complaint. And let's just be honest, some of us sometimes have complaints. Can we be honest? This is church. For those people who say, I can't lie in church. Those are the people to watch out for, because right when they walk out the door, they'll lie, right? Some of us have complaints. Some of us have things that we ask God about. But I think for all of us who are believers and followers of Christ to understand that God is sovereign over everything. He's sovereign over cancer. He's sovereign over divorce. He is sovereign over job loss. He's sovereign over the toaster that catches on fire and burns down the home. He's sovereign over all of that. He is not the author of evil, but it means that nothing catches God by surprise. And even in terrible things... God is still able to work something beautiful. And the fact of the matter is, is that some of us, if we didn't, God did not allow us to walk through those times that left scars internally. Some of us have livers that are fairly pickled. Some of us have emotional wounds, mental issues today. But if God had not allowed us to walk through that time that broke us, we would have never reached out for Christ and said, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? And for some of us, we pray that God would help us be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But often in the human predicament, that when we are healthy, we don't pray. When we are wealthy, we don't think about God. And when we're wise, we don't read his word because we already know everything. It very well could be that some of us need to change our prayers to say, make me more like Jesus. And if you choose God to bring something painful into my life, give me the strength to reflect the gospel. And so the sovereignty of God, once again, God is not the author of evil, but he is over the whole world. He is over history. So how should that change our approach to scary situations? Let's begin to walk through the rest of this text here. Number one in verse 16, it means that a healthy understanding or a strong belief in the sovereignty of God over scary things means that I don't have to fake stoicism. Stoicism is... The enduring of pain and hardship with no show of emotion. It would be like the Romans believed and acted. They believed in total fate. It means that I don't have to act like I'm not scared when I know that I am. But on the other end of the spectrum, it means that I don't have to be a slave to pendulum swinging emotions. And some of you that have friends and family who are literally not in control, say amen. Amen. And for followers of Jesus Christ, if we've been saved and Jesus has changed our heart, we don't have the right to punish our family by allowing our emotions to run wild. One moment that we're happy, the next moment we're throwing pots and pans, one minute we're watching TV laughing, the next minute the remote's flying through the house. 
For the glory of God, let us be rooted in God's word to say in verse 16, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, and my legs tremble beneath me. He's being honest about what's in here. He's being honest. He's saying, I don't have to fake stoicism. I don't have to fake that I'm doing great. Right? You talk to people, how are you doing? I'm doing great, brother. Amen. Praise God. Like always good. What we see in the Hebrew scriptures especially is a total freedom to say, you know what? I can be like Jesus. I can stand up to people who need to be stood up to. I need to, I can speak straight. I can speak strong. I can be, I can cry when it needs to happen. I can be like David and Jonathan and go out in battle and take on the enemy, but be willing to show love to one another. Jesus, when he was in the garden, he sweated because his nerves were being shredded. Sweating drops of blood because he was in so much pressure. We see in scripture, there is a willingness not to fake stoicism. But notice the decision in verse 16. He says, I am terrified at the future, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. What he's saying is that, man, my emotions are terrified. Some of us, when we go to the doctor and he says, we found something. Terrified. Remember when my back was at its worst and we went in and pain coming down the leg and he, and the doctor comes in and he says, I, this is not right. It's not right. It's not right. We need to get your blood test right now. You stay right here. Something's not right. Could be a tumor. Walks out. I felt so sorry for my mom. She just, I mean, just head and hands just fell there. I said, boy, I, I, I feel worse for her. When you hear that terror, when you hear they've been in an accident, terror, fear. And the word of God says that we can be honest about that, but the decision comes to say, what am I going to trust in my emotions or am I going to trust in the sovereignty of God? And for some people today, we have a, such an excuse producing culture. Do you agree with that? We got, we got excuses for everything, every type of deviant behavior. I've got this disorder. I've got this issue. Listen, there is something that is not talked about, but it's something that's very scientific called epigenetics. And that is uh, epigenetics, and here's the definition, involves genetic control by factors other than an individual's DNA sequence. Long story short, we are finding that through changed behavior, the Bible would say a changed heart that leads to changed behavior, can actually alter the DNA for people who are even predisposed to certain deviant acts. For example, some of us, we may have a, a, a just a pre-leading to alcoholism or to anger or something like that. But what the Bible says is that the heart changes, the actions change. What we're finding, and scientifically, is that just because we have a predisposition towards a certain type of behavior does not mean that we have to be that. Glory to God. I mean, that, that should be good news that science is catching up with the Bible. And we see it here in the Hebrew Scripture. He says, here's my emotions, but yet I will. Trust. Oh man, we can't work our way to heaven, but one thing that we can do, we can receive the free gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. And from that point, living a life of fear and anger to where our family cringes. 
They cringe and they wait for the next bad news to come. And mom and dad, they're going to get drunk. They're going to scream and cuss and use the sinful excuse, quote, I'm just an emotional person. God, forgive us. God, forgive us for being an excuse that run, a culture that often just runs to excuses. First thing to excuse any type of behavior, but through the power of God, no matter what your issues are, He can give you victory. It comes down to an issue to say, you know what? I will commit to Christ and I will trust in Him. If you're taking notes, write down this text. This is awesome. Isaiah chapter 26 verses 3 and 4. It says, you will keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Meaning fixed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. See, a strong belief in the sovereignty of God means that we don't have to mask and fake stoicism. It means that we don't have to be dominated by emotions that run wild. But it also means that we understand that some things will get worse before they get better. Verse 16, he says, you know what? I'm terrified at what's going to happen, but I will trust in the Lord. And I don't know how this is going to go over, but let's just go there. Be very careful um, what you believe about Christianity from Christian movies. Some of y'all know where this is going. It seems like most of the Christian movies that are produced, the football team always wins. The kid with cancer always gets healed. The dad who's without a job always finds a well-paying one. In Scripture, that's not reality. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes God delivers. But for the follower of Christ, we know that we will be delivered by being rescued from hell and being taken to heaven with him. So to have a, a view of life that says that things will always get better here is not necessarily biblical at all and here's a text for us to remember second corinthians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 so we do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day that's for some of you or some of us that are growing older and we look in the mirror and we say what happened to you right the bible says though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day verse 17 this is awesome for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So the sovereignty of God understanding that will help us to understand, you know what? Things may not always get better right now. Sometimes they may get worse before they get better. But ultimately for a follower of Christ, things will get what? They will get better. Verse 17, we know the sovereignty of God helps us to understand that our worst case scenario is different than most people. Notice it says the fig tree not blossoming, no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fails, the fields yield no food, there's no flocks, there's no herds. In other words, there's famine, there's economic devastation, there's no meat, there's no way for me to provide for my family. But if you're a follower of Christ, your worst case scenario is not, is not financial ruin. It's not. You lose your house, lose your car, move into the parsonage with us. During Christmas season, Jen's got us watching a Hallmark channel. It's not the worst case scenario. Financial ruin. 
for a follower of Christ who's been saved, we know that losing, and this, this gets a little deeper, losing your family through death is not the worst case experience. I pray, I pray that God gives us protection, but it very well could be that for some of us through the next few years, we could walk through terrible valleys of suffering. We could get that phone call. I will show up and it's that phone call that we hope that we never received, that accident that we hope never would happen. And if you're one of those people that believes the American lie, it quote, if it wasn't for my kids, I would have no reason to live. You will be a person that is totally disillusioned. Do we love our families? Absolutely. We love the kids and grandkids. Man, we pour our lives into them. And I love my, we don't have kids yet, but we have nephews and nieces and we've already got the correction down. You know, Micah, he's learning songs instead of singing jingle bells, he's singing jingle butt. (laughs) I corrected him yesterday. Jesus doesn't want us to say that word. I'm like, that's the gateway word, right? We're preaching on him. And then Josh is like, he probably learned it from me when I say I'm going to whip your butt. I'm like, dude. <laughs> and we turn away and we die laughing because kids are hilarious. We love them. We pour our lives into them and we just protect them as much as we can. But it very well could be that some of us could walk through that horrific journey that Job walked through to where all of his children are gone. Gone. None of us are guaranteed to grow old to where we are grandparents of grandchildren that we get to enjoy until we go to be with Jesus. None of us are guaranteed that. And if we are living for people People can be taken away. And if the people are taken away, if the job in the house is taken away, we will find what the writer of Ecclesiastes said, that life under the sun, life not lived for the glory of God and all things, is absolutely meaningless. You say, Jeff, are you saying that I should, I should not really value my family? No, I'm saying that we should value our families more because God has given us our families. And by valuing our families, we're bringing glory to God. What is the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario for a follower of Christ is going to hell. But if you're taking notes, Romans chapter 5 verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It means that for a follower of Christ, the worst case scenario cannot happen. Are you excited? And here is the worst case scenario for me. Worst case scenario would be committing a private sin that becomes public, that causes dishonor upon the name of Jesus Christ. And as the baby is saying amen, I want to get serious for just a second. Um, God has blessed us at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. We are nothing special. We are sinners saved by grace. But I've seen... Before, when God blesses a church, it's usually people within the church do something that causes an implosion. The church I knew of, and they were reaching a lot of young adults, a young man in charge of children's church. Uh, his wife was not a believer. There was a young lady in the church whose husband was not a believer. Long story short, they committed adultery with one another. Then their unsaved spouses committed adultery with one another. Went off like a nuclear bomb. Most of the young adults left in the church today is still not recovered. I don't know what you're being tempted with, but for the glory of God, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, realize that it is not just our decision, that our 
actions ripple through this community. Our actions ripple through our culture. And may God save us, guys, of being unfaithful. You say, well, Jeff, I, I've got marriage issues and, and she's, not, she's not an evil wench like my wife. Some of you ladies say, well, he actually, he's, he's a normal guy or he works hard or he doesn't do this. And we are tempted to go off, please, for the glory of God, for the people who don't know Jesus, who if they found that out and they say, well, they go to Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, that preach, right, right? They're, they're in leadership there. They call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. That's another preacher who's fallen. Man, that's, for me, that's the worst case scenario that I would do something that would cause dishonor on the name of Jesus Christ. And may it be that if and when we're tempted, we would just cry cry out to Jesus for help. Amen. Let's not allow anything to happen that would cause people to turn away from Christ. And finally, we can, through suffering, we can rejoice in the opportunity to be like Jesus in our suffering and look forward to how he's going to take us to his plan. Notice verse number 18. It says, though There will be famine, though there is economic upheaval. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Go back to the end of verse 16. Same concept, yet I will quietly wait. Notice verse 19. He begins to preach. He says, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. And the picture is of a female deer who's gone way up on the heights with those little hinds, little deer feet, able to climb to where nobody else can be and be able to see things up there that you can never see from down below. There's a pastor, Stephen Lawson, and he says that every trial is intended for our sanctification, an instrument chosen by God to conform us into the image of his son. I've mentioned Micah, my my nephew, and he uh, was going through the two-year-old stage of fear. You know when kids go through that and they're afraid of everything? And I did this character called a dinosaur, and he would say, Where dinosaur? Where dinosaur? And I would act, I'm not going to do it right now, but I would act like a dinosaur. He said, where, where dinosaur? And I would act like, he said, dinosaur, carry. I, I cared. I scared. He would back away, kind of look down and then go, where dinosaur? So he had like this weird relationship of being scared on one hand and then wanting to see the dinosaur. And as he's, he's growing, we, we FaceTimed him yesterday and he told us that we could go to Walmart and buy a baseball bat. He's brilliant. Right? <laughs> But I talked to him on the phone a while back, and it's been a while since we've done the dinosaur thing. And here he is in the, in the car seat, and he grabs the iPhone from Josh, and he's sitting there just like a boss eating Cheerios. You know, he goes, where dinosaur? <laughs> so I hand the phone to Jen, and like the immature uncle. I didn't, I did, I was fresh out of dinosaur costumes. But I went and got a, a, a you know, something to put over me, a blanket, and a rawr, doing the dinosaur thing. And then I came back around, you know, dinosaur left. And I came back and said, you like dinosaur? And he's still eating Cheerios. He said, go get him. <laughs> and I, I thought of that. I thought of that just a few months. We went from, you kill you, that's scared, to go get him. And what Habakkuk is saying is that since God's sovereignty is over every aspect of life, since... God is sovereign over scary things. It doesn't matter what. We can even say through the power of Jesus Christ, go get him. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength.